I want to start with a question, though. You ready? Say I'm ready. Ready? Let's let's wake up here. Let's get it's uh, one of those days I can tell. But I want to start with a question. I want to ask you this and I want you to return to your inner child. Can you do that? Is it still in there? Have you buried it far, far away in your adult responsibilities? I believe that it's still there. But I want to ask you this question. Who's your hero? I want you to actually think about it. Not just a platitude. Who is your hero? Who's your hero? I think when we're kids, we would say something like it's my dad or it's my mom or maybe a war vet grandfather or a firefighter or more spiritually it's superman or batman or we have some idea of what a hero is but we generally leave that to the kids right so i was curious so i looked up on dictionary.com what is a hero hero is defined in two different ways primarily number one a person Noted for courageous acts or nobility of character. We get that. The second definition was a person who, in the opinion of others, has special achievements, abilities, or personal qualities, and is regarded as a role model or ideal. It's funny to slow down and think about that, and I I bring up your inner child because we get to a stage of adulthood where those things shift, and if I can step on some toes today, my, my own included, is that what ends up happening is we tend to start not looking to heroes that we should emulate, but we begin to we begin to idolize things like our sports players or our um, business acumen or political figures or movie stars, and and we end up putting these kinds of people on pedestals, and they dominate the way we think, the way we see, the way we dress, the way we do all these things, and they become these idols in our culture, and yet often. Their physical greatness hinders them from anything we would want to emulate. The Bible would say it this way in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Right. So we understand this. We understand the flow of humanity. We understand how that goes. But occasionally, though, you'll hear stories of someone making it big and using it for good. Right. We have those stories, too. And they'll go back to their hometown and change the entire trajectory of a town or a city or whatever. Stories of true greatness. Maybe a little more seriously, you would think, you know, you would admire somebody like a Mother Teresa or a Martin Luther King Jr. or a Bonhoeffer or a Corey Ten Boom or an Ella Jo Baker. Men and women who rose above their form and and, uh, fame, fame and fortune and did something truly great. Something that we remember them for a long time later. And so it had me thinking as I was reading our text for today. Who is after Jesus? Because, well, Jesus, would you say is the greatest person to ever live? Who would you say is the greatest person to ever live? It's, it's a fun thing to think about. There's some, there's some top-notch people that you could mention. Who's the greatest person? Who, who could you look to and model your life after? I know a lot of you and I know some of you are modeling your life after certain businessmen or certain people that can get you to where you want to be. And we could talk about those, but I'm talking bigger than that. I'm talking about at the end of it all, 
Who would you want your life to look like? Who, who is it that you would look to and say, that's, that's the path I want to follow? Now, granted, Jesus is the answer. But are you aware that Jesus actually had an answer to that question? Jesus actually had an opinion on who the greatest person ever born of a woman was. I find that fascinating that the God of the universe, God incarnate, God in the flesh, when he was doing ministry on earth, felt it necessary to point out that there is a man alive who is the greatest one to ever live. That's wild to me. And if you don't think the Bible is entertaining, let me submit this story to you that God ranks people. Are you aware of that? Just kidding. He doesn't really rank people. But he had a extremely high opinion of this guy who inspires you. Last week we talked about Jesus, the greatest. We talked about finding home. We talked about the incarnation of Jesus. We talked about finding our place in him. And lucky for us, we don't have to guess because Jesus actually tells us who that greatest person ever lived was. His name was John, not the author of this book, but John the Baptist. He was called that because he was literally known for his baptizing people for their repentance of sin. Who is this guy that was, according to Jesus, the greatest man to ever be born? I don't want you to take my word for it. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, I tell you, among those born of women, which is how many people? Oh, come on, you're, you're smarter than that. How many people are born of women? All of us, every single one of you. I know, listen, I was just about to step on a landmine. I'm going to leave that alone. We'll do a series on that someday. All right, I'm going to back up. The greatest one born among women, none is greater than John. Listen, I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, right, we think about the story that Jesus told how there will be some who stand before him and they'll say, Lord, look at all that I did for you. And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Scariest verse in the Bible. That I didn't know you. On, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum is this statement about John. And it's like if, when I get to the end of my life, like, you know, in reality, does anything matter more than the Lord Jesus looking at you and saying, man, none of everybody born, nobody's greater than John. What a statement. Why? What was it about John? I mean, if you were to back up even before that, before this guy was even born, Gabriel, I mean, the angel Gabriel, there's only two named in scripture and you got one of the two named angels in scripture prophesying about how awesome you were going to be. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says this, Many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great before the Lord. Wow. Powerful. We're setting the bar extremely high for this guy named John. We've got Jesus and Gabriel saying that you are great. That's quite a story. <laughs> it's quite a story that I'm, that I'm not sure anybody could live up to. And in reality, that is actually the point. John was never supposed to live up to something. He was supposed to fulfill something. And I want you to think about that today as we consider what it was that made John great. 
Because what gets held up is this juxtaposition between what you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, actually think is great in our day and age. Versus what Jesus actually thinks is great. You tracking with me? There's a difference between, and now, now listen, I'm not talking about the answer you would give if like I put you on the spot right now and was like, tell us in front of the church what's great. You'd answer right. But if you and I could just be honest, we spend a lot of our life chasing things that we think will make us feel great that aren't great. Yeah? Thank you. But look at how it starts in John chapter 1. The story of John the Baptist, verse 19, says, And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem, those were the important people, by the way, very important, sent people from Jerusalem to ask John this question. And I think it's the same question that I asked. I said, who's your hero? But in relation to that, we ask ourselves this question that they asked him. Who are you? One of the most significant questions you can ask yourself and answer from a biblical point of view is, who are you? Who are you? Important people recognize that something was different about John. So special, in fact, that they think he might be the prophet they're looking for. And maybe even more than that, this could actually be the guy. This could be. The Messiah, this was the, this could be the guy we're looking for. He was that awesome at what he was called to do. And so they come to John and they ask him an identity question. Who are you? I think our culture is asking all of us the same question. Who are you? And and can I just be real? If you can't answer that question, the world around you will answer it for you. The world around you will answer that question for you if you are not ready to answer that question. And if I could say it in a nicer way, a better way, if the Holy Spirit has not settled that in you, right? The scripture says it this way, that you would find an anchor for your soul. I'm not talking about what you project to the rest of us. I'm talking about what's happening on the inside. Who are you? Who are you? You is the question that comes to John. How do you answer that question in your own life? Where do you find your identity? Are you spending all of your energy working for an identity? So many of us, whether consciously or subconsciously, work very hard to maintain an identity, an image, a lifestyle that ultimately leads to us dying on the inside. Working for other people's praise, working for other people's admiration, working to keep up this thing that we believe is going to satisfy the deepest parts of our soul. And I think John's answer is critical to us answering our own process for figuring that out and figuring out who we are. Look at verse 20 to 22 as they as he answers this question from these important people that had honestly a lot of power and eventually would get him thrown in prison and he would be beheaded for what he believed and what he's about to say. So keep the end in mind. Like like none of this was like, "Oh, it's John. Yay." Like th- this was this question mattered, and honestly, today, if you answer this question for yourself from a biblical point of view, not everyone's going to like you. 
We've got to be okay with that. And so here's John's answer, and it's glorious. Verse 20, he confessed. I find that language that the author of the book from John's Gospel, John, I find it interesting that he chooses that language. He doesn't say John answered. He says John confessed, right? Because they were coming and asking these questions because John could have could have gotten a whole lot of notoriety. John could have risen that ladder of fame real fast if he would have just answered yes to any one of the following questions. But I love that. He confesses these truths. And look at them with me. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, right? He said it twice. He's confessing this. I am not the Christ. Now, you and I would look at that and be like, well, yeah, of course he's going to say that. He's not Jesus, right? But how many of us live our lives as though we are Lord of our life? I do. I didn't even get an amen from my wife. I'm doing better than I thought. Think about your daily activity. What does it actually mean to surrender to Jesus, right? Jesus said it this way. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. How many of us are daily getting out of our beds and saying, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, I could stop talking right now. We could just pray about that. It's hard. We live in a culture that says you are the one that matters and you do, but not for those reasons. Right. This is why identity matters, because how I answer, who are you, how I answer, who am I at my center in the seat of my heart, in the seat of my soul? What is the anchor for my soul? How I answer that question matters a whole lot because it's going to shape everything else that we do. And even those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we don't live that way. Myself included. Very selfish. And I think you could identify with that. And so John's answer to this is critical for him to stand up and say, no, I'm not the Christ. It's not just a theological statement. It's a practical statement. Because John's not going to follow for the things that you and I might follow if we were if we were famous. So here he keeps going. He says, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him. They keep pressing him. He says, and uh, he says, I'm not the Christ. Verse 21. And they asked him, what then? I mean, you're, there's something different about you. If you're not Christ, then what are you then? They said, are you Elijah? <laughs> he said, I'm not. And there, there's like cultural things behind this that you could grab a study Bible this week and study. And they're really interesting. And you should. But he says, I'm not Elijah. They were looking for Elijah. And like, this guy is cool, great enough to be Elijah. There's something special about this guy. He could be Elijah coming back. This could be the sign of the times. This could be... The entrance for something great. And he said, I'm, I'm not. Are you a prophet at least? <laughs> Are you at least a prophet? Give us something, John. <laughs> Give us something to put on our Instagram page. And he answered, no. So they said to him again in verse 22, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Culture is constantly going to ask you the same question. Who are you? We need an answer. We need an answer to satisfy those who are asking. 
But I want to pause and just notice how crystal clear John is on who he is not. So often we're jumping to who we want to be. Let's get super clear like John was on who he's not. He is not Christ. He is not Elijah and he is not the prophet they are looking for. He isn't who they were looking for and he didn't possess the things you and I look to for greatness either. He wasn't rich. He didn't have a family. He didn't run a great business or a nonprofit. He didn't even have a YouTube channel or a TikTok page. (gasps) He didn't have any of that. He wore weird clothes and ate weird food, the Bible says. That was his that was his deal. Then why was he so great? Right, like that's what we're drilling in on. Why why could they tell he was so great, even though he was wearing animal cloth and eating wild honey and locusts, like and baptizing people in the river out in the wilderness? What made that guy so great? What kind of identity did John have? And his answer in verse 23 is honestly finer than pure gold. And I want you to latch on to it today. Look at verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. I love that. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. John's greatness was wrapped up in John not missing the fact that John was not the point. I want you to write down three quick helps and then we'll keep moving on. But just from his answer to help you and I, who are you? John was crystal clear on who he was not. Three things. Number one, humility helps. I want you to write that down. Humility helps. I am one voice. One voice. We talk about in the YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. We we talk about our reach. We talk about our influence. We talk about all these things. And let but let's just let's back up a minute and say, I am one voice. Let's not lose our humility. I cannot do everything. And that is okay. In fact, Jesus built his church in such a fashion that one person could not do everything. So if you have been disappointed by me, I am sorry. And it's probably true. But I want you to know that though I can't do everything, the people around you can. That's why Jesus said his church was a body and that. The mouth is no more important than the toes. You ever, you ever miss a toe? You ever crush your toe? You don't ever think about that toe till it gets crushed, do you? Then we think about it a lot. You don't think about your hamstrings till you're 37 years old and you try to run bases at the kick, church kickball game. I still can't feel my right knee at night. Alright? That was like, what, a year ago? Come on, somebody. Your boy's getting old. It takes... All of us, right? And so John is crystal clear on what he's not. He's not the Messiah. And therefore, he's not going to do Messiah things. (laughs) I am one voice. Humility helps. Number two, perspective helps. 
Write that down. Perspective helps. Why? Because I'm crying out in a wilderness. If you are a follower of Jesus today and you follow biblical principles, you will be one voice crying out in a wilderness. And you need to know that not everyone will like me. And that's just okay. What makes that difficult is the reach we have now, is the influence we have now, is the scope of people that we can reach when we put ourselves out there on the interwebs, right? So humility, perspective, and then third, John was crystal clear on this, is that calling helps. You need to have a purpose. You need to have a reason for doing the thing that you're doing. John needed a reason To step out into the wilderness and be one voice. If John was doing that for John, John would have burnt out and given up. And he definitely wouldn't have gone to jail for it and lost his head. Definitely like that. That's not a great career path. There's better ones that are less dangerous. But no, what what does it say? He said, make straight the way of the Lord. I am one voice. Crying out in a wilderness to clear the path for the one who actually does matter. I have a purpose and that purpose is calling my name. And I want to suggest to you that when God made you, he knew exactly what he was doing and he's created you for a purpose as well. But the whole sermon this week is to help all of us understand this particular point. And you can write this down too. I'm a pointer. I'm not the point. And I made it rhyme so you could remember. Because I'm a preacher. And I grew up Baptist. And that's what we do. Acrostics next week. I'm a pointer. I'm not the point. Does that make sense? But again, I'm not... The guy, but I do know the guy. It's easy to, that preaches well, that doesn't live well. Because when I get up tomorrow and I forget about what I preached and I don't feel like doing the things that I have to do to help my family or to help our church family, it's when rubber meets the road, right? Like it's one thing when you're preaching and people are like, oh, that's good preacher, tell them again. But then when you live it out on Tuesday... And Thursday and Friday and life gets in the way and you have a squabble with your spouse or your kids don't do what you think they should do or your friend stabs you in the back or you get a bad grade on a test or whatever it is, you get a cancer diagnosis, you fill in the blank or you don't make the team or whatever it is, who are you? Who are you? What's left when all that stuff you've been chasing isn't there? Who are you? If you want to understand yourself, start with Jesus. And that's what John did. John was from birth before he was born. The Bible says he was in his mother Elizabeth's womb and the Holy Spirit like indwelt that womb when Mary walked by pregnant with Jesus. John on the inside of his mother leapt for joy like he was that guy. He was he was anointed from the womb. And he still totally understands I'm not the point. I'm not the guy. If you want to understand yourself, start with Jesus. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 14. It says, I praise you. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. 
My soul knows it very well. You need an anchor for your soul. Who are you needs to come from the depths of your soul. What is the anchor of your soul? Because when the things of life let you down, when you yourself track and follow your sin and you let you down, what's the anchor for your soul? When everybody else lets you down, when you let them down, what's what's left? Who are you? Jesus considered John great, not for his personal acumen, but for his humility. John wasn't the Lord of his own life. John knew that Jesus was the Lord of his life and his calling was to point people to Jesus. So I want to bring that all the way down and tie this bow on this text. I wonder who is the last person that you pointed to Jesus. Who, who are you? I'm a pointer. I'm a signpost. I was made in the image of God to reflect him. Right? The scripture says, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, you are Christ's ambassadors. Left on earth as his person to do his bidding to the world. You are the way people Taste and see that Jesus is good. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. What? Cannot be hidden. Who are you as you are a child of God made in his image to reflect his likeness to the world around you? That's what scripture says you are. And if you will grasp that, and recognize that all of life is about Jesus, your entire life will change for the good. And by the way, that doesn't mean you stop doing the things that you're doing. He made some of you good at business because you're good at business and you should do that because I'm not. And I'll never be in the spaces that you're in to be salt and light for Jesus at your business meetings. Some of you are great athletes And you should do that because some of us aren't. We blow our knees out at church kickball games, right? And we'll never be in the seat that you're in to have conversations that you will have on a platform that I'll never have. Some of you are doctors. Some of you are nurses. Some of you are students. Some of you are, you fill in the blank, factory worker. It doesn't matter. You you can cut grass to the glory of God and reflect his glory and likeness to those around you you can go to the hospital and save people's lives to the glory of god and reflect him to those around you you can be a preacher and reflect the goodness and glory of god to those around you are you tracking what i'm saying that the seat of who you are is that you are god's scripture says you are not your own you were bought with a price therefore glorify god with your body that's not just a sex verse that's a, what are you doing with your hands and feet? I love what Martin Luther said. He said, how's a Christian be a good Christian? He said, make good shoes. Right? Wherever you are, whatever you do, are you a mom? Do it to the glory of God because you're going to meet somebody at the playground with your kids who's just as tired as you are, but who needs to know that there is something bigger than just having to raise kids. Doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, you can do it to the glory of Of God, I wonder who the last person was that you pointed to Jesus. And that's not a condemnation statement. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to redeem the life that you're already living. 
That God wants to join you in that place. And when he says that if you will yoke with me, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. What he's saying is I'll come do it with you. It's so hard because you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders when you were designed to yoke up with me and let me carry the weight of the world. I think there's a lot of days that turn into weeks, that turn into years, that go by never pointing people to Jesus because we've become the main point of life. Myself included. That sounds more like slavery than freedom though, doesn't it? Listen, to most of the world, it makes sense that you would be the center of your life. But that doesn't lead to freedom. It doesn't. Most of the world is lost. They need what you need. Look how the priests and Levites respond to that in verse 25. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? Then why? If you're not the point, then why are you doing all this stuff? Why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And then I love this. What's your identity? John's going to elaborate here and he's going to bring all of this down to what he's been after. Look what he says. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Jump down to verse 29. And I love this one of my favorite passages in all the Bible because it gives us a vision for what it looks like when we taste and see that the Lord is good. Look at what he says. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, right, this purpose, every one of us have this purpose. It's going to flesh out in different places and spaces, but we all have this purpose. I come baptizing with water that what he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's the point. That's the purpose. What is your identity? Who are you? John found his identity in Jesus. In a world that denied that Jesus was God, John was a signpost. He was a signpost pointing to the, to the reality that God had come to earth. And can you imagine how good it felt when he watched Jesus walking across that way and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is your purpose to use your unique calling to point people to Jesus. If you feel like your life doesn't matter today, I want to invite you to the greatest mission on earth. To use whatever gift God has given you. No matter how big or how small or how great or how insignificant. I want to invite you 
to join the mission that matters more than any other mission. To point people in your circle of influence to Jesus. That's it. If you want to find significance in your life, alter your life to be on mission with Jesus. Every single one of us have changes to make for that to happen. Every single one of us. The scene ends with John coming face to face with Jesus and realizing in real time that his calling and purpose mattered. What a powerful story. John's purpose was to reveal Jesus to Israel, to bear witness that Jesus was God to his people. So who are you is answered by Jesus. Your purpose, though, is answered by you. Who's your Israel? Right? John says, it, it, is, it is my, I am here, it is my purpose to reveal Jesus to Israel. What about you? Who's your Israel? As you accept humility, perspective, and your calling... Who's your Israel? What has God made you good at? We want to help you with that. We'll be launching another growth track soon where we walk you through your spiritual gifts and what that looks like. Maybe you took it four years ago. Take it again, right? Because what what our calling as a church body is to equip each other to do the work of the ministry. And the ministry is out there. It's not in here. Okay, so who are you? You are chosen, redeemed, and loved by God and sent on mission to point people to Jesus. That's who you are. And he loves you the entire time. Who's your Israel? Does that make sense? Who is it that God's put in front of you to point them to him? Amen? Come on, let's pray and then we'll sing. God, we love your word. Holy Spirit, it's easy to say... That we are not the point. It's not easy to live as though we are not the point. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would work in our hearts even right now. As we think about the words that we sang earlier and that we'll sing again now. God, you really love us. And if that is true, we can step into the world that may not love us. To point people to you, the one who does. God, we know that there are people all around this building right now. There are people all around every workplace represented in this room. There are people in every family represented in this room. There are people represented on the other side of the camera that is pointed at me right now. There are people around all of us that don't know you. And Jesus, Holy Spirit, you told us that you left us here to bring good news. Jesus, you said when you came that you came to bring good news to the poor, to the lost, the broken, the captive. God, I pray for every single person within the sound of my voice right now. No doubt that there are some people who are trapped slaves to sin or to circumstances or to whatever 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, as Jesus said, he came to earth to set the captive free, to break chains. I pray that you would break chains on people's soul right now. If there's somebody listening that does not know you, Jesus, I pray that you would right now draw them to yourself. Would you move on their behalf? Would you call them into your glorious kingdom and into your family and that they might cry, Abba, Father, know that you are God and you are good. God, I pray for the one sitting here or watching online that's been a Christian for a long time and it's just one foot in front of the other doing the motions. God, I pray that you would break us free from that kind of religion. And I pray that you would speak to every single one of us and remind us that we have a Father who loves us. Would you touch our hearts of stone and melt them? Give us hearts of flesh. Jesus, as we fix our eyes on you, would you just do that inner work that we so desperately need you to do so that we can look with you at our neighborhood, at our city, at our job, at our every aspect of life and ask ourselves, who needs you? And would you help us to be faithful witnesses, salt and light, signposts of something greater to come? We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for your goodness to us. And it's in your name that we pray. And we say amen.